everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited today to be talking with Mario Blandini. He's the Vice President of Marketing at IX Systems, as well as an open source enthusiast. Excited to talk to you today, Mario. Hey, thanks for inviting me, Jay. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Well, why don't you start, do you want to just give us a little quick background bio of yourself, uh, where you're at in your career? Uh, sure. Uh, people usually hate talking about themselves, but uh, I came came up in a Silicon Valley labor uh, family. None of, none of the people in my family ever went to college, so I got to be that lucky one who first went and did it. And so for me, I was able to go back to Silicon Valley after six years in the Marine Corps. Um, I did that for a lot of awesome reasons. It's probably the best thing I, have, I could have chosen to do. And with that uh, experiential learning in IT, I immediately just became an IT guy. And since then, I've figured out I'm a lot better at talking than typing. So I don't code <laughs> anymore. I read and talk and uh, that sort of stuff. But for me, it really has been fun because uh, IT is not just its own industry, but it is one of those critical elements to every single business. And with data being the new currency in business, um, I, I, I've landed in a pretty good spot. I'm pretty grateful for the opportunities that I've had. And uh, so, yeah, I just uh, talk about technology and um, these days evangelize open source as not only a digital public good that helps uh, improve conditions in the developing world, but it's also something that allows for access to the good stuff, regardless of how much money you have. I think that's one of the cool things here. It's an enabling thing where if profit up front isn't your number one goal, and we as a private company can go ahead and do that, we've, we've kind of taken uh, the company I work for now, IX Systems, the uh, Get Rich Slow scheme, which was over 20 years to build up a profitable $100 million business. Not rocket growth like a lot of uh, you know investors like to see, but uh, in doing so, we now have a product offering and it's fun. I used to tell people about, uh, my whole life, hey, you should spend way more than you think you should on this critical data infrastructure because losing it would be worse. Now I get to tell them, hey, remember I told you to spend all that money? Well, now there's an alternative that's half the price. You should check it out. <laughs> and if you don't want to pay us, that's cool too. You can use it for free. That's amazing. Well, I love that. I think uh, I think that might be a lesson we're all now relearning is the importance of building businesses that are get rich slow businesses rather than uh, get rich quick businesses. So yeah, I think well, that's, that's a, but that's a the new thing. trend. Yeah, you got to do both, right? And I think that just from a strategy perspective, um, one of the things is, and I, I've um, separate this. I tried to start my own um, in real life gaming company where people did real things like Pokemon Go and earned credits that uh, turned into dollars to nonprofits. A bad time to do that during the pandemic, but it was built off a lot of that same, that same concept, which is if you can give first and create value, then there's no argument that value has been created. And I think it's a lot easier for people to invest and engage in something where the value was created, not having to pay for it up front as the, let's just say primer or to start the flywheel of a business engagement. So uh, that's uh, one of the things I think we're all searching for um, to reach audiences in today's very attention deficit uh, world. Um, I think folks do wanna see something of value where 
you almost have to prove it. Heck, a lot of your people in the audience, uh, VCs now want to see a fully working product that's in its second release with $10 million of ARR before they give you any money, right? So it's like, okay, well, then you can't develop the old way that way. You have to develop in a way where you, you uh, in the case of open source, you invite a community to help out to deliver that product. And if that open source product can then be used by all, there's a lot of great business models that have shown that you can then once creating the community and creating the engagement, you can build uh, revenue models off top of that. And it turns out the, the, the model my company currently uses is it sells hardware. <laughs> now, people uh, probably think software is all the rage, hardware is so like 20th century, right? Um, I lost most of my hair installing stuff at data centers back in the 90s. Um, and that, if I talk loud, it's because I can't hear anymore because they're being loud in the data center. Um, but uh, the... It, looking forward to today, I think that that it's it, it's it's exciting to be able to get access to enabling technologies that you can put together yourself to get toward that functional prototype or MVP um, versus having to necessarily build it from scratch. So think of uh, uh, a future world where really, the open source is just the free version of something that already exists and people use and pay money for. So uh, that's one of the kind of interesting things, at least uh, for my background. So anyway, is that I enough for it. telling you about who I am? Yeah, no, I think it's great. One of my first questions is uh, from the, just the time that I've already been talking to you, was it difficult being a very happy, pleasant person as a Marine? Was that Challenging, oh, no. not challenging is that <laughs> my just preconceived notions. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't spend a career out of it. And uh, a lot of it was because I had a skill that I could make three times as much money um, uh, leaving the Marine Corps. So that was a positive thing for me. Um, I'd say that uh, it's, it's an act in the sense that aren't we all actors when we put on an interface for whomever we're talking to, right? And so I think what I learned in the Marine Corps, I was always a happy guy, but... If you want me to yell at you at top volume and make you scared, I could do that too. But I don't do it necessarily because that's my personality, but that's just the act that you have. And maybe that maybe that helped me become a marketer, you know, having to figure out how to say things to people. Um, I, I, I like to tell people, I wish corporal punishment was a tool I had to, to motivate my team, right? <laughs> I used to be able to use that. Nowadays, it's the opposite. It's you have to, you know, you can't uh, make people uncomfortable to get them to do things. You have to uh, make them. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that another thing that's kind of interesting is a lot of people think folks that go in the military aren't, let's just say, uh, academic or aren't intellectual. When it's literally, it's a perfect cross-section of humanity across all levels of diversity, including neuro, neurodiversity, right? So while I was a computer nerd that uh, was had skills there that some of the other guys uh, didn't have, it's at least an environment where regardless of your skill, it's a, still a meritocracy and you're not just seen as a lesser person just because you have less, you know, knowledge. Yeah, that's so cool. That's awesome. Well, as you got into, and I love, I love hearing about, you know, being the first person for your family who went to college, um, how did you kind of discover that passion? I, I, I think that's something that a lot of times people struggle with is, you know, even when they're doing what they thought they would love or, you know, they're, they're even on the right path. How have you approached, uh, finding that passion? Cause you talked about that even, uh, in some of the materials that I read about, like how much this is your passion, uh, in your career. How, how did you discover that? How'd you go about that? 
Well, uh, one thing I think I learned early on is uh, the CMO of your brand is yourself. You can think of it that way. And so this idea of what your brand is, inevitably, if it was if, if it was so easy and fun, you wouldn't get paid. So I think there is some sort of a thing that there's a, an amount of stuff that you have to do that isn't the most rewarding. But I think everybody has it in their um, scope to just go chase whatever they think is the most rewarding thing to them. And what I've found in my career is no one's going to stop you from going and doing something and delivering value uh, if it's not your job. If you go, if you do your job and go beyond that and, and show that you can do another job. And I think for me, um, I'll give you an example. I was uh, fresh out of the Marine Corps uh, in the mid nineties. And I worked for at the time, a 27 year old technology company. So super mature. In fact, probably the best place to grow up, right? In terms of being a little fledgling, uh, uh, new entrant into the marketplace because they had a lot of really cool structure, which I really enjoyed. Um, but, uh, what I found, um, uh, working there is that they looked at me and they're like, well, no, you can't do that job because you haven't gone to school for it. I was still going to college at the time. You haven't done that job before. And I think what's cool about today is that I don't think anybody cares where you learned how to be a Go programmer if you can program killer stuff and deliver experiences online. For me too, it was just one of those things that um, I realized my passion wasn't with my fingers. It was with uh, my uh, auditory complex um, to, uh, in terms of what I do best. And that, a lot of times people read these self-help books and you want to find your superpower. And I think I just realized early on while through effort and diligence I could execute what would otherwise be a technical job. For me, I wanted to find something that uh, was just better uh, fit for my skill set. And how do you do that? By volunteering and going and doing stuff that no one asked you to do, which then gets you invitations to do those things. So I could have been stuck as a QA lab guy for my whole life, but I was able to kind of, you know, uh, break the tractor beam and go do some other things and transfer the, those skill sets. And I think um, it's the my advice then in terms of following your passion is you just got to do it, which means you got to do those things that no one's going to give or give you permission to do up front per se, but we'd be happy to see you go do, um, if you can deliver it. And so, yeah, I think don't all bosses love it when you bring them, uh, victories they never even asked for. Well, I think that's such a great point. I've seen that in my own career where so many opportunities were things that no one else wanted to do. It was like, hey, who wants to help with this? And it was like, we all have jobs already. And I was like, yeah, I'd like to do that. That sounds really fun. I'll take on the extra responsibility. And it's like, do I get paid more? Oh, no, no, I don't. Okay, I'll still do it. And everyone else is thinking, man, that guy's crazy. Why would he do that? And it leads to really interesting opportunities that I think is very difficult to see from the beginning how things are going to turn out. So you have to be willing to try stuff and like you said, volunteer for crazy assignments and crazy things and just test things out. That's right. Um, uh, I think that uh, these days, learning is something that uh, everybody's expected to do themselves. I still try to be a good manager throughout my career and give a lot of that old school coaching. But I think in today's world, especially if you're in a small environment, there is not, no, none of that. Everybody really needs to be self-reliant. And so, um, yeah, I think that uh, as to your original question, where do you find your passion? I think it's, you got to try a lot of stuff. And, um, uh, for me, I found later in my life, just uh, in, in going into this particular job, I went from the high flying BC backed world 
to now what is a private company that is deliberately slower pace, but slower pace in the concept, like I said, get rich slow. So I think that uh, over time, um, there's going to be some more, I think folks are going to be more interested in finding a way to create value over a long term. I think we're all microwave society people where we want it right now. Um, but uh, I, going back to the whole passion thing is that uh, oftentimes you'll probably not do your passion because you're, you're something not passionate pays you more money, which is why you got to figure out how to make the, your passion the side hustle. And uh, I mean, look, you're creating content, right? I, I Maybe one of these days I'll be a content creator too after I'm being a marketing guy, right? Uh, which could be a fun, uh, a fun journey. Well, and I think there's always, uh, there's always other benefits once you get into doing whatever it is you start doing. Um, there's always benefits you could have never predicted. So it's always, it's always fun to see that. Um, what, what gets you excited about open source for someone who, uh, who's like, hey, I don't know if that's something we should focus on, or I think we should keep everything private. I shouldn't share maybe as a company or as an individual, my ideas and the things I'm working on. Um, what would you kind of count? How would you, uh, argue against some of those ways of thinking? Well, one of the ways would be to argue for why others who are making money are being successful doing so. Now, everybody likes to bag on Facebook, but in addition to being the, you know, the place where university students can find each other originally, they have come to build one of, build one of the most advanced IT data center infrastructures with open compute platform stuff. And one might argue, well, why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just go buy something off the shelf? Well, just like Amazon and Google and Microsoft's data centers, Twitter at the time when it was running its own data center, there wasn't anything you could buy that could do that. Yeah. Right? So they had to go figure out how to build it. And rather than build it over 10 years from scratch, they said, like most people do from an innovation perspective, let's figure out how many things currently exist and cobble to them together, right? Think of it like, you know, you, you sure, people sell computers, but you could also buy all the parts and put it together and make it exactly the way you want it. And I think that's where it was those use cases uh, in terms of workloads for these huge data infrastructures no one ever envisioned before, certainly way different than a commercial company. They uh, all have gone the path, and Google's really leading the charge on this, to literally take all of their innovation and make it open source. Because these, these companies are looking to grow their ecosystem, right? And so if you think about it, uh, this idea of open makes it much easier for folks to uh, participate and integrate in your ecosystem. So um, like the, you know, the, Am the Amazon store, uh, App Store has zillions of things that you can do in their uh, cloud services, uh, similar to all the other guys. So what I'd say is, hey, for an if you're an enterprise, it doesn't make sense because you probably want to buy something. The big guys had to build it. The good thing is, is since they build it, now all that knowledge is available to anybody else who wants to copy them. So it's almost the opposite. It was given away by the guys who already solved this problem, which will never, uh, anybody using the same technology has like 1,000th the, uh, the, the demand, you know, in terms of how, what that uh, solution needs to do. So um, if you, where the, my company came from, I, I would, I'd always known of IX Systems and the brand TrueNAS. True, you probably don't even know IX Systems. We're not a very well-known company. But those around, in and around IT and technology and DIY technologies would know TrueNAS as the world's most deployed storage 
software in the world. And uh, so open source to us, I think, is really cool because whereas in the past people would say, hey, I'm buying this for a critical, this is so critical to my business, I can only buy the name brand stuff, right? But if you can get it to where you can show, hey, this is the, it, it works better than the name brand stuff and is less expensive and has all these different um, uh, value points. It's like any challenger brand trying to go after the guys at the top. And I think just open source allows you to challenge faster um, because you can um, just move whatever it is your offering is down the road further if you don't have to build every single piece. No, I think that's uh, that's very interesting. It, it's a different approach to um, kind of problem solving and then also sharing that problem solving with others. Like, hey, we already figured it out. We're not going to make the world figure it out again. So, or and the cool thing about open source is you put it out there. No, maybe no one will ever use it, right? A lot of people think, "Well, I'm giving yeah. away all of my intellectual property." All it means is you you make the code available, and it has certain license conditions on how it can be used and how attribution needs to happen. What if there's any licensing, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think that in a world, and maybe it just talks about maturity in a marketplace. In a marketplace, normally you have a bunch of new ideas going there, and there's consolidation afterwards, right? You don't need 15 versions of something, right? You only need a small number of them. And I think what we're finding with our with our open source thing, which wasn't necessarily most popular commercially, we're finding that, you know, 20 years later, what used to, you, you used to require, you needed those brand name genes. And now the genes from Costco are just fine. <laughs> I, I, I don't need those $150 jeans. I'm going to wear my Costco jeans at the end of the day. They're the same. And because they literally are the same, they do the same exact thing. Yeah. They just cost more because of its brand. And I think that's the yeah. cool thing about open source. The value is given to everybody and the brand doesn't get the value in terms of, let's say the dollars, but it certainly gets it in terms of consideration for the impact that you make on the world. And I know as a marketer, we're all being asked. And if you're a CEO, even worse, you, you, you need to know this off the top of your head. Exactly what does your company do to make the world better? And a lot of people have a lot of the same answers, but I think consumers want to know that. Like if there are 15 choices and I want to choose the one that, that not only is, good, is just good enough, but creates the best value for everybody else, I think that's what we're, you'll, you'll find um, you know, folks uh, aiming to do if they're really um, challenger brands and, and looking to create something new. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's that's a really good point. It's uh, it's it's kind of a new approach to problem solving and sharing problem solving and how you how you approach it. So, um, what do you think is next in the open source world? Is is there something that gets you super pumped? New projects, new ways of tracking? Have you guys? I'm sure this is a very naive question, but using kind of like. Uh, crypto technology to track and do a lot of that uh, kind of management, the blockchain technology to manage who's using what and how they're using it and are they using it appropriately? What gets you excited? All right. Well, one of the one of the things not to get excited about is that uh, the technology market space that my company and I've spent most of my career in is literally the final destination on the bus route where the data goes and is stored in its ultimate resting place to then be summoned again when needed. And so I'm sure most people listening to this could care less the aerial density of the hard drive that is and the, and the spindle speed of that hard drive in some remote data center that's holding this data. Nobody cares anymore. It's kind of like, you know, 
Uh, I'm going to be old school, picking up the phone and you always heard a ringtone. It just works, right? So I think um, what, if you were to ask me what has me excited about the, the future, I'd say that it really isn't about who wrote it. Because that's one of the things a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to use open source because I'd rather design it myself, right? It's this whole buy versus build thing, but also a invented here or not invented here. And so at least it, it, as I go back to my own um, uh, example of our business in the data center, um, I'm sure everybody's heard of Linux as an operating system. They, the Penguin, you know, that's a thing. Uh, there was a time when someone said Linux will never work. And within three years, they went from 3% market share to 90% market share, and everybody else went from 90 to share the, the remaining 10. So, or the 97 to share the remaining 10. So what happened there? Well, it's simply the generic version came out and it was just as good as the pay for version, right? Now it's different. Don't get me wrong. It's a different color. It looks a little different, but that, but part for part, you know, uh, certified the exact same thing as far as someone's concerned. Right. Um, so I think that's one of the things about, you know, differentiation. It, it used to be that, you know, technology, you want to differentiate, uh, so it provides a better experience, but over time, if all the innovations wrung out. It's just one of these things that's now a part of how people do business. The only way you can even, the only way you can really innovate is to then create a better user experience. You've got a lot of AI stuff going on right now to figure out how we can then better, you know, uh, deliver that experience uh, to uh, audiences. Uh, so to me, the delivering of the experience to the customer is what's most, what's obviously most important. And I, I think that the fastest way to A-B test and to go do those things is to not build it yourself. It's to, uh, to you know, build uh, your at least functional prototype model off of uh, the things that are available. And then it might make sense to figure out from your marketplace, cool, we've got this. How do we then on top of that provide more differentiation? Because my, like my business right now, we're at the end of the line. There is open source software and new value streams opening up all the way up the stack. And a lot of companies are doing that kind of the baseball, you know, uh, bat thing where they're all trying to climb up the ladder, right. Uh, and add value. My company's stuck in the infrastructure layer. There's no, nowhere else for us to climb. But what, it, what I would say is by virtue of it being open, it makes it, uh, easy for any of a million software developers to literally have their product work with this product without even contacting us. They can download it. They can use it. They can do that, test it. Great. If you were a small independent software vendor looking to partner with a large company, you probably wouldn't even get their attention uh, in that regard. And they're not going to go do the work to make it so you can now sell into their channel, right? Uh, if, you're a, uh, if you're a software vendor selling on top of, a, of another platform. Well, since our platform is open source and we're not interested in making money off them, but to the extent that the, um, the apps drive storing more data, that's where we make more money. So it's this idea is that, heck, you, we often think about how, where we want to monetize, but if you can find a place where it's really efficient to deliver value and a low cost, and you just become the best at doing that, heck, you can then let other people do the work um, with regard to how that uh, composite experience shows to the customer when one plus one equals three. Yeah. Well, I, one of the things I think you really brought up is adoptions, this new key uh, in the marketplace is that, you know, Unix kind of flipped everything on its head and said, 
it's been all about innovation, but what if it's all about adoption? And if everyone is using our platform, that's crucial. Well, I think that's where uh, I get the biggest benefit of a uh, open source project at scale. Not all of them are. Um, I've worked for projects that were a lot smaller too. Uh, but one of the advantages is that you have enough stakeholders in a community. For example, I have 250,000 active members. That's awesome, right? And my, my go-to-market is really just letting them know what's new and them sharing it with their friends and us getting people asking, hey, I want to buy one. So that's a, open source companies have to market much differently as well because we, instead of paying money to get the eyeballs, we use the goodwill we've earned with others to spread the word. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, time flew by. Uh, it was super interesting to learn more about what is happening in the open source world and, and how you guys have approached building a business. Thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom with it, us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks a lot, Jay. Great talking to you. Awesome. Thanks so much.